Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very respected nuclear physicist, essayist, and defense analyst from Islamabad, Pakistan, uh, Professor Parvez Hoodboy. Professor Hoodboy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, Professor Hoodboy is known for his work promoting freedom of speech, secularism, and education. He's an author of a book titled Islam and Science, Religious Orthodoxy, and the Battle for Rationality, and several others. And he has been recognized and felicitated all over the world. So, sir, today we're going to speak about India and Pakistan. And I'm a great follower of all of the work that you are doing and your comments on India and Pakistan. But let me start by asking you, how do you perceive the current state of India-Pakistan relations uh, compared to the past few decades? Well, India has pretty much shrugged off Pakistan as uh, no more than a, than a nuisance. Mm -hmm. Whereas Pakistan remains fixated on India. Mm -hmm. Although its domestic troubles are now so deep mm -hmm. and so pervasive that the attention is moving towards them rather than India. And I think that uh, looking at the newspapers, I um, see mention of India um, just, uh, just in a few places, whereas earlier on, it used to be in multiple places. Mm -hmm. So Pakistan's domestic troubles have become so um, gripping for the population and most importantly for its ruling class mm -hmm. that... Uh, for the first time, the, the 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 question that's before them is, what to do now? Can we make it out of this uh, horrible mess that we are in? Hmm. Hmm. And yet, sir, given the fact that we are uh, tied together um, with a long border, what are the primary barriers to establish? people-to-people -people communication, which I think is only is the only answer. Oh, the barriers are very clear, very uh, obvious. It's, mm -hmm. um, the, it's the visas. They don't allow you to go from here to there or from there to here. If there was people-to-people -people contact, I'm sure there would be a huge difference in the perception of Pakistanis about India and vice versa. I think the gains for Pakistan would be immense, first in terms of trade, but even more importantly in terms of, well, India is far more educated. It's got better universities, better schools, better educational materials mm. that Pakistan can mm. greatly benefit from. Mm. The amount that we spend on defense would be hugely reduced, all that. So the argument is a very strong one that we need to be good normal neighbors. Mm. After all, these are Siamese twins. We were formed same out of the same, same, the same womb. And uh, it's just that we've developed differently. Mm. Very well said, sir. And what would you say is the role of religion and, you know, religion and nationalism on both sides in perpetuating the conflicts between India and Pakistan? Pakistan was founded on the basis of the two-nation theory, okay. which is that Hindus and Muslims are the only two peoples that populate the subcontinent. Mm -hmm. 
and that they cannot ever live together in peace and therefore they must separate. Mm. This was articulated most interestingly by uh, Veer Savarkar and uh, later Golvarkar. And then in the form that you see from Mr. Jinnah in 1940 mm. during his presidential address in Lahore. Mm. So uh, basically, what we see today is that the two-nation theory has uh, has uh, been implemented. Mm. To my mind, that has put religion at the core now of both nations. Mm. It wasn't so for India earlier. India under Jawaharlal Nehru was a secular country which gave plenty of space to Muslims there. Mm. Pakistan never gave space to its minorities, particularly to Hindus and also to Christians. And now the space has become still smaller and we are squeezing the minorities uh, perhaps even more than India is. Mm -hmm. Well said, sir. Uh, my next question is that there is a lot of discussion on the role of third parties, whether it is China, whether it is the US, in the relationships between India and Pakistan. I'd love to get your perspective on how do third parties impact both our relationships? Earlier on, we know that Pakistan was fully aligned with the United States. Yeah. India was partially aligned with uh, the non-aligned movement. Well, it, it was part of that, mm. and uh, it had affiliation with the, with, with the left bloc in right. the 1950s, but that uh, later changed. Mm. Today, if you ask what the situation is, well, Pakistan has become irrelevant in terms of economic clout. In mm. fact, um, it is constantly looking for money. Mm. Whereas uh, India has done very well for itself. Mm. It is now, uh, well, it just hosted the G20 yep. conference. Mm. And uh, it uh, now wants to be uh, a yet bigger player. Mm. So in this case, I think external influences don't have the kind of uh, importance that they once had. Mm. There is no country that Pakistan has a defense alliance with, and that mm. includes China. We do not have a defense alliance with China. Okay. We, and of course, um, not with the United States anymore. Mm. Um, basically, now India's um, it's it has come into its own. Mm. Pakistan is fumbling around, mm. and uh, this should call for a radical rethinking of. Pakistan's foreign policy. And um, I hope it'll come. Mm. I hope reality will sink in fast. Mm. And where do you think the, the uh, responsibility lies to be able to start taking such an initiative to normalize both, both the relationships between the two countries? In Pakistan, it's absolutely clear. Mm -hmm. It's the military establishment that's got to take the first step. It's got to say, look, guys, we've uh, tried to solve Kashmir by force. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to happen. We know that the line of control is now impossible to, mm -hmm. to change. Mm -hmm. Pakistan cannot hope to 
take over the Indian part of Kashmir. But on the other hand, India cannot hope to take over the Pakistani part of Kashmir. Correct. Because both countries have nuclear weapons. Mm. <laughs> so, accept things as they are. Mm -hmm. Make the line of control soft. Mm -hmm. Allow trade across that. And people's from one side to to go to the other side and so forth. And look, it's not a hard problem then. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of coming to your senses. Okay. And look here, I will not blame Pakistan alone. Consider what is happening in Siachen, the mm -hmm. highest battleground in the world, yeah. where the casualties are not from artillery or from gunfire, they're from frostbite. Mm -hmm. I just met some Pakistani soldiers who were officers who were going to their posts in Siachen. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, you're lovely fellows, you know, but why are you doing such a stupid thing? Mm -hmm. They agreed. They said, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's bloody stupid, but we have to do what we have to do. Yeah. We were told to do. Mm -hmm. But you know, <coughs> it's the Indians who took the initiative on Siachen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if they were to retreat and the Pakistanis were to retreat, mm -hmm. we would save lives, our soldiers' lives, mm -hmm. young men who are uh, perfectly fine, decent human beings. Correct. It's an irrational conflict over there. Let's make that a starting point mm -hmm. and then gradually move towards softening the line of control. Very well said. But do you? see either of the two countries having the political will. And I remember having a conversation many years ago with Shaukat Aziz when he was the prime minister um, on being able to declare the line of control as the official border between the two countries and removing conflict. Well, I'd like that, but I don't think it's really possible. What I think is just put less emphasis, make it less salient. Yeah. And you see, the difficulty is, I think, more from the Indian side now, mm. because uh, India is in a state of high hubris. Mm. It's sent Chandrayaan-3 to the moon. There's another rocket that's um, going sun. to investigate the sun and all that. So they say, why do we need to make any compromises mm. to Pakistan? Let yeah. them come and be and humbly request our forgiveness. Mm. Well, that is not going to happen. The Pakistanis, uh, yeah, they're in a desperate state, but you know, there's something called honor. It's a very stupid thing. Yeah. I hate, <laughs> I, I hate <laughs> honor. Yeah. It, it's, it's irrational. Mm -hmm. But let's accept the fact that the world is irrational. Mm -hmm. So if India gets off the high horse mm -hmm. and, um, says, okay, let's uh, start talking. Mm. Pakistan will jump at it mm. at the moment. Mm. Well, well if they get, yeah. You know, well said. But, sir, you've been, you know, seeing this for so many years and, and you know, I, I love hearing your comments. Are there any historical instances or periods where, in your opinion, India and Pakistan came close to a reconciliation? And if yes, what can we learn from those instances? 
So this idea of softening the um, LOC was actually Musharraf's. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very paradoxical because he was the one who Sorry, started the Kargil invasion. Yeah. That was his idea. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, well, thereafter, he realized the foolishness of it all. And mm-hmm. then he offered the olive and J.N. Dixit and the um, entire idea of mm-hmm. softening the LOC came about. Mm-hmm. So I think those were good times. Mm-hmm. Um, but way back in the 1950s, I think were better times. Mm-hmm. So I rem- remember going with my mother when I was five years old, and that was way back in 1955 mm-hmm. on the Sabarmati and coming back on the Saraswati. Mm-hmm. And it, people used to go back and forth borders weren't firm at that time mm-hmm. and uh, uh, in fact Muhammad Ali Jinnah had never thought that this would be a hard partition mm-hmm. he uh, he had properties mm-hmm. in the in, in India and Bombay as you know mm-hmm. and he kept buying shares company shares and he bought shares in Air India as far back as 1946 amazing so he didn't expect a hard partition. So those those early times were good times. Mm. Now the bad times started when uh, General Ayub got ambitious. Mm. And the 1965 war, Operation Gibraltar, that poisoned things. So, uh, and then of course, 1971 was catastrophic for Pakistan. Yeah. It recovered though. Um, we've had... Good times, though, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now are not good times. No, now we are not good times at all. I agree, completely agree. The other question that I wanted to ask you was that I'd love to get your comments on the impact of media, both traditional and social media, in shaping perceptions and misconceptions between the two countries. You know, uh, I'm the wrong person to ask because... Mm-hmm. I don't have any social media presence. Okay. Um, I I don't even have a smartphone, so you can't ask me about that. Okay. I uh, I read um, newspapers, but uh, well, I read the Urdu ones. I read the English ones. I occasionally look at the Hindustan Times, Guardian, and so forth. I think now people can essentially search for whatever conforms with their inner health values. Mm -hmm. And so where those values came from, then get further affirmation Mm -hmm. from either the mainstream media or social media. Mm -hmm. I'm told that social media is a lot more effective. Mm -hmm. Well said. And uh, I remember hearing you talk about... uh, history uh, that has been written in Pakistan and there's a lot of of course talk about history being written in India how do you view the educational curriculum in both countries in terms of perpetuating certain narratives and biases oh uh, there was a time when I admired what was in Indian textbooks Mm -hmm. as being so um, objective mm-hmm. and so balanced mm-hmm. in terms of how they looked at the world and particularly at um, the Hindu-Muslim balance within India. Mm-hmm. 
Now that's changed. Now some of um, India's history is being deliberately erased. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, India is following exactly what Pakistan did from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. You see, we started off as a religious state, mm. as, a, as a Muslim Rashtra, mm. you could say, mm. and have become uh, much more so now. Mm. In the process, we eliminated all earlier history. So in uh, many of our books, the history of the subcontinent begins with 700 and at 712 AD, mm -hmm. which is when Muhammad bin Qasim mm -hmm. comes to Sindh. Yeah. Now that's complete nonsense. Correct. But that's what he's taught. Mm -hmm. In India's case, well, you take away the Mughals <coughs> and you take away a good chunk of India's history. Of mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. There was ancient India. There were marvels and all that. But the Mughal history, the Mughal part, and of course, even before that, mm -hmm. the other Muslim uh, Muslims would come. Mm -hmm. For good or for bad, that, that is part of history. It should be kept. We should not tamper with it. Mm -hmm. Right. I agree. I agree with you. My next question is, you know, and you have traveled extensively, lived in the U.S., do you see any role the Pakistani and Indian diaspora can play in shaping India-Pakistan relations? Yes, yes, yes. They absolutely ought to get together. Mm -hmm. They ought to uh, meet, mm -hmm. organize public functions, go to each other's homes and... Um, after all, we are, you know, we share the same DNA. Absolutely. We um, speak almost the same language. When when I went to uh, went around India, except in the south, I I spoke in what I thought was Urdu, and, and everyone listeners thought was was in Hindi. Yeah, okay. So if I keep a few personalized words out, mm -hmm. rather prone to do that. Uh, well, then it, it sounds almost like Hindi. So you, if we can talk to each other, if we look the same, if we have shared experiences that go back centuries, mm -hmm. then what's the problem of talking to each other? It's so stupid when I see Indian students and Pakistani students separate mm -hmm. from each other at campuses in the US. Okay, it wasn't so in uh, 50 years ago when, when I was in the United States. We, I have still kept up with my Indian friends. Absolutely. Some are still in the US. Mm -hmm. Some have moved back to India. But uh, we became friends for, for life. Correct. 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 Well said. Absolutely right. In fact, I've often said this when I'm, I speak in places. I said that people from North India, certainly Delhi and so on, I said, I look the same. I speak the same. I eat the same as my neighbor in, in Pakistan, as compared to someone from South India, for example. So uh, I just wonder why this people-to-people -people contact does not uh, you know, get accelerated. And you commented on that. Uh, 
But I'd like to move on, sir. And uh, I want to ask you about some regional developments, uh, like the situation in Afghanistan. And that seems to be impacting, and I keep, keep hearing commentaries about what India is supposedly doing in Pakistan. In Afghanistan, I don't have any information. But what do you think the situation in Afghanistan is impacting India-Pakistan relations? Oh, it's very interesting, isn't it? Pakistan got its dream government in Afghanistan. Absolutely, we yes. worked so hard to get it there. Mm -hmm. And now they're a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. Well, it's more than that. Mm -hmm. Because they support the TTP, mm -hmm. which is a branch of the Taliban, mm -hmm. ideologically identical to the Afghan Taliban. And uh, the TTP is killing every day a few soldiers, mm -hmm. a few policemen, mm -hmm. which means that over the, over a year, it's it's the the, the toll is horrific. Mm -hmm. Now, when um, uh, now you see Pakistan expected mm -hmm. that because the Afghan Taliban would be so beholden to to uh, to them to the mm -hmm. Pakistanis, they would uh, rein in the TTP. Mm -hmm. Nothing like that has happened. Mm -hmm. Okay, now it's very interesting. Terrorist attacks that used to take place in Pakistan were ascribed to India through its 23 consulates spread across Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Now, in fact, there were not 23. I don't know how many there were. There were probably three or something like that. Mm -hmm. But there was a scapegoat there. It was India which was fueling terrorism, which was directly uh, involved in terrorism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, when they caught this guy, what's his name, Kulbushan Yadav, Yadav yeah. uh, then, of course, everything was proved. Yeah, everything was proved. Well, hang on, what's going on now? Mm -hmm. Every day we are losing soldiers, policemen, ordinary people to terrorists. Who are we to blame now? Now they're blaming, blaming the Afghans. Mm -hmm. But the Afghans... The Afghan government was put there at their own initiative. Mm. So it's, 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 it's become a lot more complicated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so as I say, you, you reap as you sow. Correct, correct. So I have time for two more questions for you, sir. My next question is that given the rise of India, and we spoke about the G20, do you see this rise of India impacting significantly geopolitical geopolitical dynamics in the Indian subcontinent? Yes, uh, India is now poised for becoming um, a regional superpower. And it uh, the, the impact of that, uh, and now, now because of geopolitical rivalries, um, we see that China is um, going to be uh, want uh, will want to counter that. Mm -hmm. Pakistan hopes that China will will um, will then be more benevolent towards Pakistan mm -hmm. and uh, supply it with uh, more aid and uh, uh, weapons and uh, investment and whatever. But you know the Chinese are are not easily duped mm -hmm. and so they are taking things cautiously mm -hmm. 
they have not given Pakistan any substantial write-off in its debt. Mm-hmm. They have given Pakistan no aid at all. Mm-hmm. They have given loans. Mm-hmm. They have invested. And they want the money back on those investments. Right. And right. they want the interest back on the loans. Mm-hmm. So what I see happening is that uh, Pakistan will retreat into a smaller and smaller position. Mm. Now, India might think that it's this is a good thing and it's uh, well deserved. Mm. Not going to get into that, mm. but <clears throat> there's a danger because if Pakistani society becomes too poor then it is more susceptible to radicalization. And with Afghanistan at the doorstep, and then it will uh, cause a good part of Pakistan to become radical. radical. Yeah. And that's a danger to everyone. Absolutely. To the, to the liberal, non-radical parts of Pakistan, but also to India. Absolutely. And globally as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't one think... Should not, one should not hope for pa- that Pakistan Absolutely. will collapse. Correct. Correct. I've heard many people say that I, they hope that this situation will never come because uh, India probably would not want Taliban at its doorstep. And that Pakistan is a great buffer between Afghanistan and India. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this several times. But my last question to you, sir, and I have a lot of respect for your wisdom, if you could advise the leadership of both countries on a path forward, what would your message be? Well, uh, for the Pakistanis, I'd say come to your senses. Mm-hmm. Look, uh, what we've done in the past has been absurd. Mm-hmm. We have launched three wars of choice mm-hmm. against India. Yeah. 1947, 1965, 1999. 1971 was a civil war. Now, stop focusing upon India. Start focusing upon the welfare of your own people. Mm -hmm. Downsize the military. Mm -hmm. Control corruption. And above all, completely changed the educational system of Pakistan, which under Imran Khan, Mm -hmm. the single national curriculum, has turned our regular schools into madrasas. Mm -hmm. Nothing can be more dangerous than that. Correct. So that's my advice to the government of Pakistan. To the government of India, I'd say India is is a pluralist country. It should remain as such. It has a, a large minority population, mostly Muslim, but also Christian. Yeah. If India squeezes the Muslims there, there's going to be discord within the country for forever. Mm-hmm. What forms it will take, one cannot anticipate. It can take extreme forms as, as well. Mm-hmm. India is getting a bad name for its mistreatment of Muslims in India, mm-hmm. and deservedly so. I was appalled that they're using bulldozers to, to just knock down Muslim houses. Mm-hmm. 
and celebrating that, mm-hmm. and this is in the United States. So in, it's uh, I forget the name of that mm-hmm. that, that town, but uh, it's near New York, mm-hmm. and they actually drove a little bulldozer with uh, Modi's uh, picture stuck up front. Mm-hmm. And what does that stand for? That we're going to knock the Muslims down. Wow. Uh, I think that's yeah, that, that's like that's turning that's India thought. into a religious fascist state. Sure. So both countries have to get their acts together. Mm-hmm. Our peoples are need to be fr- need to become friends at some point. After all, we are the same people. Absolutely. And on that note, sir. Thank you so much for speaking to me. This has been such an eye-opening kind of conversation. I was always looking forward to speaking to you, but I think the perspectives you've given on the two countries is just absolutely incredible. Thank you for speaking to me, sir, and good luck. Thank you. It has been my privilege to speak to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.